Welcome to Season 10 of Purposeful Empathy, a show that is dedicated to amplifying the voices of people from across the globe who understand that the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. I want to thank all of you for watching. Our first 100 episodes garnered over 20,000 organic views. I couldn't do it without you. Please share, please subscribe, and enjoy the show. Welcome to a new episode of Purposeful Empathy. I'm joined by Beth Wooler, who is the founder and chief intention officer of New Groove, a platform that invites others to celebrate new ways of thinking, living, and being. As a certified happiness life coach and a certified neuroscience-based coach, Beth supports people's healing journeys. She's been a featured speaker during World Happiness Week and the Gross Global Happiness Summit in Costa Rica and the Festival of Life and Wellness. She's also a contributor to a new children's book with her partner, which is actually, it's come out. You want to hold it up? Making Friends with Feelings. I can't wait to talk about this. The goal of the book is to start having conversations with children early about acknowledging and expressing their strong emotions. Welcome to the show, Beth. Hey, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. So Beth, I I know that you've built a coaching practice based on happiness, embracing a happiness mindset. Now, I think that there might be some ideas about what happiness means, Mm -hmm. like, ha ha ha, I'm very happy. Maybe you could share what you think happiness means. Maybe you could share what a happiness mindset is um, and and why it's important to you, why you embarked on this journey in the first place. Sure, sure. So, um, oh, lots to answer there. So generally, um, yeah, I think of happiness personally as something more enduring. Maybe some people think of it as joy. I think there's a lot of semantics that we could all have conversations about what do words mean. Uh, for another day. But to me, it's living more in your, uh, I I used to call it below the line and above the line, which is like, okay, if this is neutral and I'm living in depression most of the time, uh, how do I flip the script and try to live in happiness more of the time? Just in those three simple, like neutral, plus and minus. So, I mean, then of course there's extremes and variations on each one of those, but Essentially, uh, for me, I had struggled a lot when I was in uh, my teenage years, from 12 to probably 25, with depression. And so I was really determined to find my inner peace. And so to me, happiness is the culmination. You can't just jump there. It's kind of the culmination of you start with inner peace. You start by how to treat yourself, how to love yourself. You learn these things, you you go to self-compassion and you're starting to have this inner peace and then you're starting to have this joy. And it's like, it's like, it's a momentum thing, you know? And even when things go bad uh, in life, because of course there's not gonna be a day with, or a year or whatever, where that's not the case, um, but, the amount you can bounce back from that because you're more in the upper space of that continuum than the below space. Um, You know, you might just dip down for a second and come back up, you know? And so for me, it was really about how do I um, take all these, what were not comfortable feelings and really give them the voice to myself. So I felt heard and understood even by myself. And so that was a long process of of therapy, honestly, to get to inner peace. And then I'm just so thankful that once I reached that, I was like, oh, I like, like up 
up the hill in a good way <laughs> afterwards, you know? So you do think that, you know, um, a mental health issue like depression can actually be transcended with intentionality around, you know, healing from whatever is the wound, but then making moves and strides into what you're calling a happiness mindset. Yeah, because uh, you have to choose that. We have a negativity bias. We're born biologically with a negativity bias because it kept us safe. So when we were cavemen and we'd hear the saber-toothed tiger, we're like, oh my goodness, you know, but now in this day and age, we're not physically unsafe most of the time. We're more emotionally unsafe and we haven't learned how to make ourselves comfortable with that, whether that's through self-compassion or self-soothing, you know, depending on what you need, uh, those kind of go hand in hand, but um, it is, it's little by little, it's little steps, little incremental steps, just like you can't lose weight all at once. You can't just become happy all at once. But I do think, um, you know, there's a lot to be um, discussed around depression or any other mental health situation, anxiety, OCD, whatever. Um, you know, there's so many things out there that, um, that can help. And I'm not saying, you know, what I know worked for me is all I can speak to. And I did have a combination of medication and therapy and constant desire to feel better. <laughs> so I had determination, I had persistence, you know, and I just didn't want to live a life like I had felt for the teenage years. So the work that you do today is really motivated by the positive experience you had in wanting to be able to help others go through a similar process. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't want, I would not want anyone to feel like they were alone or hurting. Um, I just, my heart just gets real big when I hear stuff like that. And uh, even when it's strangers, I stop and talk to them, you know? And so it's just, uh, it's just now how I'm wired is to be comforting to those who I don't even know what their situation might be. And I might not know the specifics, but I can be there and say that I care. And I can be there and say that, you know, uh, help them think through who else might care in their lives that if I'm not going to be there regularly, you know, and just kind of help them reframe the moment. Um, and people tend to just gravitate toward me to, to do that kind of thing. Like sometimes it's just a weird phone conversation with a person, you know, or a coworker or something. So, but I'm so lucky that I, I kind of give this vibe people perceive that, I'm one of those people that's going to be comforting and I'm happy to do that. Well, it sounds very life affirming when you're talking about your work and generative, but do you ever feel like a sense of overwhelm and, and maybe compassion fatigue once in a while? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that definitely happens. Um, especially when a lot of things are happening at once in my life and even other people's lives. So I just have to be careful with my own boundaries and know what's healthy for me. And thank goodness I've been working through that for 20 something, 30 years. So, um, I've got a lot of practice at it. I still slip, uh, you know, sometimes, and I'm lucky to have a, a great partner who's there to pick me up and, um, you know, each other up. But before him, I didn't have that until I was 46. I didn't meet him until I was 46. So, um, it, you can, it's not nearly as much fun or comfort doing it by yourself, but you can do it. Mm, that's a very hopeful message that's a very hopeful message thank you for that yeah so um when you're coaching someone on how to be a happier person how does that like how do people find you how do people like is it like a new 
form of therapy or like what's the you know how are you how are you sharing the work that you do out there so that people find you and what they know to expect yeah a lot of it's word of mouth um and uh i've also been in marketing for 25 years and as a leader in marketing i've coached a lot of people just as their um direct supervisor or whatever and i've always approached it from um I care about the person and the individual and what their goals are, or, you know, how they balance inside and outside of work. So um, it's kind of a natural segue. And um, essentially, uh, one of the ways that I do this is I ask them to look at their past week and actually write down what hours of the day they're doing something that's work-related. Now, that could be your job, but it could also be work-related like, keeping up the house or washing the dishes or whatever, or what percentage of the time in your calendar in the last week have you done something that's really indulgent for yourself or even just slightly care, caring for yourself. So if that's taking a walk in nature, if it's taking a bubble bath, if it's, you know, going to a movie by yourself uh, that you really want to see, you know, what are the things that you're doing to treat yourself well? So it's really kind of taking a snapshot from their memory of the week prior um, and then putting some goals in for the week moving forward. So it's, that's just one way to start thinking about how much time am I spending uh, more in an intentional uh, regard, or am I just sitting around and watching TV or flipping through Facebook and really not getting much out of what I'm putting into it? Cause I'm not putting anything into it in that case, you know? Uh, you know, it's so interesting. I'm feeling like really dissonance as we're talking about this, because since the beginning of the year, I felt this kind of low grade of like always having to do so much work mm -hmm. and that I, I just, I don't ever feel like I get to the bottom of my inbox or enough of my to-do list and I'm constantly sort of like in task orientation. And that's actually something that's very, um, it's kind of my lane. I grew up in that with my family, my work before leisure. And it's striking now when I hear you say it, I'm like, of course I should be balancing that out with sort of like some chill time. But why do you suppose this is so important in people's lives to actually carve out that time for happiness, joy, peace? Um, really, and, and it starts with just simple self-care, you know? And and the reason it is, is, is right now, um, everybody knows mental health's a much bigger struggle or maybe it's just a more public outward struggle rather than it used to be inward. And so, um, but I think we're, we're all impacting each other and really emotions are contagious, just like um, diseases. And so um, they're based on mirror neurons that are in your brain and it kind of causes you to feel what you're seeing. So um, without going too far into some of that, I think it's really important to just realize your impact on the world that each one of us has either in a positive or negative way every single day, every single moment, depending on how many people you're around and what you can do to just promote positivity. Um, we all can't solve this as individuals, but each one of us trying to contribute just a little bit and being a little more thoughtful. Um, and that comes back to taking care of yourself first. And so if, you know, the hustle culture of the U.S. is just uh, mind blowing. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. If, if that's what 
you know, gets you going in the morning. But I think a lot of us, um, you know, mid-career face some burnout if we've been doing that for 20 plus years. I know I did. I know Keith did. And so now we're pivoting to try to do something that gives back to the world because um, we don't want to live in that state of chaos in your mind. And you really can't be reflective if you can't be quiet and peaceful, whether that's meditation or yoga or reading or however you do it. You know, everybody has a different way, but um, living in that constant state of chaos is just uh, very unhealthy. So how have you benefited? Have you, how have you noticed your demeanor change or your relationships change or look at your, how bright your smile yeah. is now thinking about it since you've <laughs> gone this route? Well, yeah, it's been a 20, maybe 30 year journey. So, I mean, it's been a long time and I'd say in the last eight years, I've been in that inner peace and now on the side of happiness. Um, so I just, you know, the biggest thing I like to remind people is as long as it took you to kind of have your foundational beliefs that, that you maybe struggle with, like you have to be a, a workhorse or, you know, whatever, um, you can't balance life and work, um, really to rethink those things and have patience with yourself because it takes a long time to undo what, the world, I mean, nobody's doing this on purpose or out of any kind of malintent. It's just the world conditions you a certain way, whether that's your family, your your community, your school, your friends, you know, a lot of it depends on who you're around. It goes back to that being contagious. So people are um, contagious emotionally as well as physically. Hmm. And how do you think people who want to sort of um, take an empathy, not an empathy, but a, a happiness mindset, if they, if they believe theoretically in the idea that a happiness mindset is the way to go, how can they put that in practice? Well, to me, um, a couple of ways is to realize that what you think your automatic thoughts are not always true. You have to check the truth for them. You have to see if there's evidence that supports them. You have to um, sit with them a second, which is what people don't do. You know, they tend to just blurt things out or whatever, rather than like going, oh, you know, why do I think that? Where's that coming from? Why am I feeling that way? And just take a beat for your second for, for yourself. Um, I totally forgot what your question was now. Putting <laughs> that's right. Putting into practice the mindset. Yeah, putting into practice the mindset of happiness. Yeah. So um once you're able to just be aware and know that your thoughts can be positive or negative, and you're actually assigning that significance to them so something that happens externally is neutral until we internalize it and interpret was that a good thing or a bad thing and you can really see it from both ways a lot of times uh, it was super hard for me I will tell you to see it both ways early on but with practice um, I got there in the help of a great therapist but so once you are aware that that's happening you can interrupt yourself in that moment and so really taking that pause to consider, is this, you know, is this who I want to be? Is this how I want to sound? Is this how I want to come across based on whatever situation you're in? You know, I'm kind of thinking of it if it's a challenging situation and how do you want to respond to that as opposed to react to that? And so just taking that half a beat, even if you have to say, you know what, I need to go to the restroom for a second, take a beat even longer by yourself and go, okay, how am I going to, what am I going to do? And and it's very simple to simply just say, um, 
I need a minute. You know, let me get back to you about that if that's a struggle. And those things, why I'm connecting them, it sounds like I'm going to the negative side of things to explain what happiness is. But to me, it's being true to yourself and true to your values. And when you do that, you're self-soothing and, and you're validating your own place in the world and what how you feel and what you think and uh, respecting yourself rather than just, I need to knee-jerk reaction, respond to somebody. And so- it's just a, it's a, a continuous practice, really. And that's just where it starts. Yeah, it sounds to me like key to the on-ramp of happiness. It, the first skill is actual self-awareness to actually discern how you're feeling and to sit with it mindfully and make some decisions with intentionality and with purpose. Then you can claim a little bit more of, you know, your what your needs are and and go out in the world and sort of protect your needs and 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 honor your needs that's what i'm hearing yeah and i i think um you know we talk about mental and emotional health and how maybe our parents didn't know enough to teach us anything necessarily some better than others to be honest mine weren't honestly very good um but that's one step. What about self-compassion? What about self-love? What about self-soothing? These are, these are skills. And if everybody thinks that everybody else has them and they don't, nobody has them until you actually focus on cultivating them in your own, in your own body, mind, heart, you know? And so there are things that as children, we're subject to what's around us. As adults, we have to take uh, responsibility and say, who do I want to be? How do I want to show up in this world? You know, And so that's the first place to start. If you're enjoying this conversation, I bet you'll love reading my book, Purposeful Empathy, Tapping Our Hidden Superpower for Personal, Organizational, and Social Change. We are living in the era of a massive empathy deficit but humans are wired to care and we can become more empathic with practice. And the more you do, the better you'll feel. Please visit your favorite online retailer and order your copy today. So I think that's a great segue to talk about your, your organization, right? So I've been onto your website, The New Groove. Is that how you pronounce it? The New Groove, yeah. Um, I read that your mission is, and I love this, <laughs> help the world hurt less and love more. Mm -hmm. I just love that. I just love that. And it also reads, we believe what's on the inside matters most. So tell us a little bit about New Groove, what the mission is, what you're hoping to do out in the world. Uh, well, yeah, you just read the mission, <laughs> helping the world hurt less and love more, uh, really to heal is the bottom line, one person at a time. We we have big ideas and and intentions but we're okay doing that just one person at a time um so because each person you reach they have that um relay effect with everyone in their lives if they take it seriously and and try to put some of these practice in place you know um but really we're trying to uh instill a new understanding uh about self-love that leads to more of a cultural shift for authentic and visible compassion, I know you focus on empathy, we take it, compassion is very similar, um, but for yourself first, and then for others also. And so um, we want to inspire people to make new intentional choices that are healthier, 
um, and not coming at it from you're sick or you're broken. Like you had asked earlier about, you know, is this a new form of therapy? And it's really, it's not, it's just a new form of education. <laughs> and sometimes actually that's all therapy is too, uh, but which is great. I mean, we need that, you know? So, um, but the first step is really why inside matters most is the first step is understanding your own feelings um, which adults are actually worse at than children. <laughs> so that's a big statement to make, but um, you know, I've heard it from my yoga teacher so many times over the years. He's proud of his son for being frustrated or whatever, because he's emoting, he's emoting healthfully. Well, we've mostly in our lives, if you're 30 or 40 or something or older, uh, you know, we've learned poor ways to handle those things before. So um, watching kids and, and starting with kids makes a big difference. So this reminds me of something that I spotted, I think on your website, I want to share um, on screen. Oh, okay. Can you see that? Yeah. Right. So I took a screenshot of this and it reminds me a little bit of Brené Brown's book about emotions. Mm -hmm. I wonder whether or not, could you talk about what this is and how it's yeah. useful? Well, it's so interesting you brought this up. I was just having a conversation with this about this like an hour ago. Um, I'm looking at the particulars in here. Um, the thing that I'm sad about the this particular version of the emotion wheel is when you look at that very core intersection, you're absolutely right. We um, often listen to and watch Brene Brown where possible. and But the core section in there only has happy. That's really the only, if you want to label it positive, <clears throat> surprised can be, you know, uh, on a happiness note, but bad, fearful, angry, disgusted, and sad. So when you look at that super core, that's probably enough for anyone to start with, honestly, because um, if you can just start there and you can pick between those things, you can go out to the next level and then out to the next level out. But a lot of people like Brene Brown said, uh, really can't identify more than two or maybe three emotions. And those are those core ones in the center. And um, I just wish we had a slightly different version of this uh, with a better balance of positive and negative emotions. Mm. And how would this be useful? So you're, you're, if somebody is trying to get in touch with their feelings, they might look for the inner circle and then pan out and say, okay, do I feel let down or am I feeling humiliated or bitter or mad? Like in that angry section, right? And then pan right. out more in order to be able to discern, oh, that's what I'm feeling, actually. It's not that, it is this, and that makes a difference. Yeah, and really understanding that no feelings are a bad feeling, even though this kind of skews and a lot of people think even just what I just said is six of these are not great, you know? But that's because they're uncomfortable. That doesn't mean they're not good. They're actually usually used as warning systems. Your body is warning you, your body, your mind, your heart, something is warning you that something's not quite comfortable. And, you know, again, I learned a lot from my yoga teacher, but my one of my favorite phrases is get comfortable being uncomfortable. You, um, That's just kind of life in a lot of regards that you can't control and you're only in control of so much. So, um, but I, I love the emotion wheel. I actually have my boyfriend and my friends uh, have it on their phone. And we talk about when we've pulled it out to look stuff up before. So it's a great tool. And I've actually heard that there's a version for kids too. So we did not create that one that you just showed, but I uh, just wanted to let everybody know there are more simplified versions for kids too. 
Sweet. Yeah. Um, with four colors, I've, I have seen that for elementary school students to at least be able to sort of pick up the vocabulary of emotions, right? Which is, I think, good to segue to get to making friends with feelings. Could you sh show the book again? Because it's just yeah. so beautiful. Tell us about it, why you were inspired to write it, what the book is about and, and what you hope it will be used for. Sure. So again, um, Keith and I both, um, you know, he's the author. I co-created it with him. I contributed. We talked about it a lot. We talked about the importance of different word choices, even as simple as making friends or being a friend. In this story, Molly uh, is wants to be friends. She doesn't want to make friends. And she understands that coming with that uh, is some responsibility. You know, she has, uh, so she's trying to hop her biggest hop and actually like entice Buddy to play, but he's too sad. And so she recognizes that, you know? So we've really emphasized the feeling words, scared, 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 or sad, sad, or happy, happy, happy too. And so in this regard, Molly actually says, be brave, brave, brave to herself and tries again. And so she's actually encouraging Buddy, the white bunny, to talk to his friend Shiner because they're kind of in a fight right now. And so Molly ends up helping, uh, Buddy be brave. And the reason this entire story came about is I've had Bunny since I was seven, um, from seven to 17, and then from 27 to now. And so these are actually three characters. These are the bunny's names. And on the website, makingfriendswithfeelings.com, you can actually go see pictures of the real bunny and learn about their personalities. Um, but what happened is Buddy actually got ill. Um, well, he had an injury, less than sick. He was injured. And he had jumped down off the bed and landed on his back legs wrong. And he started army crawling. Like he was like, cool, like, okay, whatever, you know? And I was like, woo, terrified. And so, but what happened, he and Molly were together as a pair at the time. And so he had to kind of be isolated while his legs were healing. And we were working on a lot of like physical therapy and even acupuncture and things like that with him. And so um, what was beautiful though, is Molly kept going up and just laying right next to Buddy, you know, in the divider kind of where he was. And we, we saw her being compassionate towards him. And we were like, this is so cool, you know? And Keith had started writing just silly stories for me about my bunnies while he was out traveling and things um, on his adventures. And so, but when he came home and, and Buddy had gotten hurt, and we saw how Molly was interacting with him. We were like, this was at the very beginning of COVID, like six months in. And we're like, man, if kids could just know, children should just know how to help each other too, because sometimes it's so hard to know what to say, even as adults. So the younger we can help children understand what to say when things are uncomfortable, uh, whether that's with their own emotions or with the emotions of somebody else, we just think the whole world's going to be better off for it. And, and the point of this is to be a multi-generational impact by teaching the parents or grandparents or teachers, whatever adult has purchased the book, um, as well as the child to have those dialogues at the end of any of the, any of the pages really, you know, and invite that like, um, conversation and when it's not about them. And so it makes it a little bit easier. And honestly, I believe the parents are going to have a lot to learn from the kids. Mm -hmm. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right about that. Um, Beth, I, I, I love, uh, you know, ending my conversations with uh, a question about how empathy has, you know, shown up in your life. I wonder if you could think to a time when you were on the receiving end of empathy. 
what I call purposeful empathy. So you knew the person was being empathic, um, you know, on purpose, what that meant for you. Yeah. Well, and there's plenty of examples. I'm thankful and grateful and blessed that I have so many examples to choose from. Um, but instead of giving one for my romantic relationship, I wanted to tell you one maybe about my sisters. So I've got a few sisters and, and two of them used to come down uh, a lot for Christmas. Um, and then they had their own kids and 25 years later, those kids are now married and adults and having real jobs. So they don't come down for Christmas as much anymore. And so I was talking to one sister about how I missed the other one. And uh, it was a little before Thanksgiving one year. And uh, next thing I knew, I got an invitation in the mail that was to a sister's weekend. Uh, it had been like two or three years since uh, they had come down. And so they invited me to go uh, to Asheville, North Carolina, and just have uh, just the three of us spend some time together and reconnect. And you know what the, I mean, First of all, just getting the invitation was, I'm getting goosebumps again. Um, um, getting the invitation was so amazing and surprising. It was also very creative. It was written on kind of like this elephant baby invitation. I tried to find it, but I couldn't find it um, to show you. But it was just like the sweetest thing and so thoughtful of both of them. And it was really intentional. You know, they heard that I was, even if I wasn't like hurting, hurting, they heard I missed this, you know, I missed our connection. And so they were like, we're going to do something about this. Mm -hmm. And so we planned that for the next summer. And uh, it was really great, especially for the one sister I was kind of disconnecting with. We were able to reconnect and have stayed in touch. That was just this past summer. So um, it's been really, I mean, what it meant to me, uh, it's hard to put into words because it's all feelings, <laughs> But it was amazing and I felt very loved and very supported and very heard and understood. And I mean, that's kind of what everybody wants in this world. So the power of empathy, the power yeah. of purposeful empathy. I wonder how many bottles of wine were decorked that <laughs> for that <laughs> weekend. Yep. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I love the work that you do. Thank you again for putting out this children's book that I think um, is a you know very powerful tool to have conversations around emotions and uh, the earlier we learn to be expressive the, the happier we will be as adults yeah yeah thank you everyone for watching we look forward to seeing you uh, back next week in purposeful empathy thank you for watching another episode of purposeful empathy remember this show is dedicated to amplifying the voices of people from across the globe understand that the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. If you want to get involved, share this video, subscribe to this channel. See you next week. Thank you so much.